Welcome to this episode of Energy Radio, a podcast by CEM Engineering with the goal of giving you the knowledge and the tools and the power to make decisions about your energy. We are here today again with our founder and principal in charge, Martin Lensink, and we're going to talk about the future. Uh, last time we talked about the past and the origin story of CEM, and today we're going to talk about the future. Um, so we kind of left off. Um, before we started this conversation, and Martin, you've had a chance to think about it, I hope, I, I think. Um, so you're, in our vernacular, you are a visionary, and I'm the integrator, uh, to borrow from Gino Wickman uh, techno- um, nomenclature. So you're always thinking about the future and where we're going as a company. Um, so I'd love to just hear from you, and if I may, I'll ask questions. Um, but where is the future taking CEM engineering? So in the near term, uh, Matt, I expect that Cogen or CHP will continue to play a very major role uh, throughout Canada. And, and I maintain that any customer who has a steady heat load, uh, like many European jurisdictions, there should be a CHP system sitting there. Um, so I'm hoping that politicians will realize that CHP, albeit burning natural gas, is in the public interest. Um, now, when you say near term, is that I'm thinking six like months? Is that five no, years? No, like next five or ten years. Okay. Okay. Um, and and what's encouraging to me there is that in the European Union, which has a really big CO two mitigation focus, there's still high efficiency natural gas fired CHPs going in in Europe. Going in now. Still. Yes, going okay. in now. Still. Yeah. Um, however, in the future, uh, CHP systems not, might not be fueled by natural gas. And I think that it could be fueled by other more carbon-neutral fuels. Um, it'll still be the simultaneous production of electricity and useful heat, but then perhaps with biomass or biogas or syngas or, or even you know, pyrolysis oil, for that matter. Um, so the overarching principle of doing two things with one fuel and the macro efficiencies that come, that will stay. That will stay. What changes is the fuel? Does the technology at the heart of it change? Uh, yeah, I, I think, well, combustion turbines are able to burn certain carbon neutral fuels. Internal combustion engines are better at burning other carbon neutral fuels. Uh, we may see the return of the steam turbine generator in terms of burning biomass in boilers, but cool. more likely we'll see uh, burning biomass. We'll put see organic Rankine cycles behind them because it's just you know a way a way to make power and heat without a steam turbine generator and all that that comes with that in Canada. But oh, in terms of operating engineers, operating engineers and act and yeah, right, okay. Um, but I I I am confident that wherever there's a heat load, there will be cogeneration. Okay. Um, whether it's fossil fuels in the near future or in the medium term, carbon neutral fuels. Um, having said that, you know, if we go back to our beginnings in 2001 when I decided to call it cogeneration and energy management, um, I am very confident that energy management systems and energy management projects will also always be in the public interest. Um, so we're going to keep l- helping our customers look at reducing natural gas use at point of use. Um, and then while we're doing that, I think we always have to be 
uh, and we're getting better at that, is helping our customers look at, you know, where are they wasting heat from right. the roof line? Like, uh, where is their high-grade heat leaving the plant in some form? Um, and how we're going to grab that heat for them, uh, whether we're grabbing that heat with an organic cranking cycle or as the Europeans are doing more and more of, as the greenhouses are teaching us, grabbing that high-grade heat and turning it into hot water and storing it for intermittent use right. later on. Right. Um, it's funny. It reminds me of um, when we, we were coming home from Burlington where I, we were with my family or my in-laws and we were driving and my kids in the back we were coming down the skyway and you can oh see yeah. the whole landscape of what used to be Stelco and Tabasco right. and it was a particularly cold day so you see these stacks and you see the water vapor condensing as it leaves right and so my son said well dad what is that like you know are those all those fires there and I said yeah. no no that's what keeps your dad busy every day at work <laughs> is stuff like that is you know how do we recover that energy right right and, and the, you you often use the term stack chaser right Right, B a BTU chaser, yeah. So we're, we're chasing those BTUs. We're trying to get, I'll never forget, I read an article about a, a greenhouse in Denmark that was 100% efficient. Wow. So everything that came off was used in some way, shape, or form. And that's really the goal that we're striving for is to, you know, that, like to bleed all the BTUs out of that energy that's leaving the building envelope and find a use for it somewhere, somehow. Wow. Um, so, and that could be simply like using classic pinch analysis, uh, you know, putting in heat exchangers and finding, you know, where can we shrink that delta T and uh, where can we bring the temperature of those waste gases down and raise the temperatures of other incoming energy streams. Right. Um, and, and how do you, um, maybe I'm stating the obvious, but we're seeing more and more talk about GHG reductions as a, as a metric you know, Fortune 500 and, and big, I mean, that, although it's maybe not as sexy as cogen, you know, those energy management things are, uh, in most cases, particularly when it's gas related, they're a direct hit or a direct benefit to GHG reductions, right? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, I think finding innovative ways to help customers reduce natural gas use now, and it could be in small steps, like just do using natural gas more efficiently initially, and then ultimately helping them find a different fuel right um, right you know we had it recently with a with a paper mill where we asked them about well, how much of their fiber that wasn't going to make saleable paper was going to landfill and it turned out to be a lot aha uh -huh, well uh -huh. we can help them take that stuff that's not going to landfill and we can burn it and make a few thousand pounds an hour steam cool so that's the kind of thing that we have to be a lot more attentive to yeah um, nice yeah um, so, yeah, and the other thing that's really got me excited is following what's happening in the EU with carbon capture for industrial customers, actually putting carbon capture technology right in the stack. Um, is that something, this is like, we hear about it on a big utility scale. And we hear about, you know, we talk to our friends who are closer to the big, you know, utility scale boilers and and, and they all they want to talk about is so-and-so's failed attempt at carbon capture. Is it in the EU on a smaller scale, is it? They're, they're proving out the technology now? Yeah, they're, they're, they're allocating millions of dollars to R&D, and there are technical universities in the, in the in, well, in the Netherlands, I know for sure, but also throughout Europe, where they're looking at taking that down to a smaller scale. Wow. Um, for, you know, medium and large industrial okay. customers. Okay, yeah. neat. Wow. Um, huh. So we're party to some of those early field trials of that technology but that's coming so cool. that's, that's certainly i'm hoping in my in our lifetime wow my, my lifetime for sure yeah right 
my lifetime remains to be seen. Is that yeah. what <laughs> <laughs> um, so beyond that, we're obviously going to more and more in the next few years uh, be putting our biogas expertise to use in helping our customers who have organic byproducts uh, turn that that those organic byproducts into combustible biogas. Um, maybe not put it in generators, but certainly yeah, making combustible fuel with it. Um, and also helping our um, customers with the expertise that we have in biomass combustion. Um, we do have customers like uh, the one I just had mentioned. We've, you know, we know of others throughout Ontario that are that have a lot of solid waste. Yeah, is biom for industrials or or, I mean, certainly not for universities, but our hospitals. But is it does it only make sense to consider it when you have an on-site? fuel source or do those universities hospitals that I talked about who don't have it or industrials who don't is it something for them to consider as well with an off-site fuel source well yeah, that's a good question so what for the industrials who have a very rigorous payback requirement right we should be focusing initially on the ones that have their own byproduct to okay. improve the, the financial now in the case of public sector customers who have a more relaxed payback thing and who should be doing the right thing for the environment they could consider uh, bringing in wood chips um, to a certain distance, okay. you know, where the the carbon footprint is not materially affected by the trucks right. bringing the wood chips, and that's you know typically a wood a two hour radius from the plant. Hmm. Um, you know, but I've been to many places where you know there's a public sector college or hospital on the edge of town where it makes a lot of sense to bring in. And are they bringing in wood chips that are grown and harvested? Particularly, or is it, or are the wood chips a byproduct from they're, some yeah, other process? They're a byproduct from, a, or as what I'm hoping will come here in Canada, like they have in Sc- Scandinavia, especially, but also in Germany, with very um, orderly um, forestry management practices, where like it's you know well known that in Scandinavia, even st- stumps that come out of the ground, they're power washed and they're hogged right on site. Right. Um, so everything that doesn't become a two by four. Uh, rather than let it rot in the forest, is right. being uh, converted to chips. Um, so is that similar to the raking in Finland that Donald Trump was talking about? Like that's good forest management. When the f- when the fires happened in California, <laughs> he talked about how in Finland they rake their oh, forests. Oh, yeah. The, I've I've been in forests in Germany, and it's just stunning how completely clean they are. Wow. You don't see anything laying in the forest. But now those chips in in Germany and throughout Bavaria and Black Forest are extremely valuable because yeah. they are they have an aggressive carbon regime there, and so the the chips are worth something, and it's worth going into the forest and having an ultra ultra clean forest and pulling everything out of it. So, do you have a sense for at, at some at some point the price on carbon will get there where right. where that will do you have a sense for is that fifty is that a hundred dollars a ton is it uh, that's a good question. I think when it go- starts to go up above 30, we're already starting to see um, you know, bringing in uh, maybe not purpose-grown okay. energy crops, but certainly in- incenting woodlot operators and forestry management firms, and especially people who have access to crown lands, to go in there and, hmm. and haul and hog and transport. Wow. Uh, you know, we think about that area around Algonquin Park. There's yeah. just, you know, there's like a million tons a year in that area. So that takes leadership from government. Uh-huh. Um, and I'm 
I'm hoping that we're going to see some leadership from either provincial or federal government. Cool. Um, and I guess the last area that I'm um, really excited about uh, is renewable thermal, where we're generating useful heat from renewable sources, not necessarily renewable power, but renewable thermal. Uh, so the um, Renewable Thermal Collaborative in Washington that started up, I'm really excited that we're part of that as CEM. Okay. Uh, and that we're looking at helping our customers make thermal energy from renewable sources. Um, whether that's solar thermal. Okay. Or whether that's through hydrogen, um, biomass, biogas, but any source of thermal energy which is not fossil fuel based. And, and, it's, and it's serving low grade thermal loads is that yeah low-grade low and, and even inter uh, you know uh, medium grade energy uh, and even in the case of biomass high-grade thermal energy right um, uh, and then I guess the like the craziest thing of all which is coming is using surplus base load generation power that we're now giving away to the states yes uh, which we're gonna have you know we're going to continue to have for some time. Sure. Uh, using, you know, even converting some things to electricity, where we're, you know, we're actually making thermal energy, but using green power. Since our power in Ontario is already like ninety-five percent. So are you green? Are you talking like electric boilers? Just things like that. Really? Yeah. Wow. I, I think there's. I think there's a place for uh, having two types of thermal generators on site. And when we have surplus really? power, yes, when we have surplus base load generation that we're, and we have power that's like next to nothing, that has no transportation and distribution costs associated with it, that we're actually using electricity that's green. Yeah. To, um, so yeah, I'm involved in a very active technical debate on this topic uh, where even though I myself am a huge advocate of microgrids and being completely self-reliant, and weaning ourselves from dependency on the grid, there is a place for if the grid is already green mm -hmm. and when it's cheap, like I'm talking about now less than two, two and a half cents a kilowatt hour, yeah. that we're using that green power when it makes sense financially. Wow. When we shouldn't be giving it away to the states for nothing, um, using that to make thermal energy. So you said you're in a vigorous debate. Is it like inside your head? The <laughs> no, debate is going no. on or is it? Because no, you sounded somewhat conflicted with a, there. With a, with a friend who, oh, who okay. maintains that uh, if the grid is green, that we should be using green power uh -huh. even to make thermal energy. I see. Okay. So it's kind of a philosophical thing. Right. Understood. Um, mm -hmm. So yeah, I'm, I'm very hopeful that uh, although governments are providing some leadership so what we really need here is not just a carbon tax, but you know we need to see things like biomass and biogas. You know, can Canada is blessed with an abundance of right. biomass resources that we're actually making use of that, and not just taxing industry, but also encouraging them and uh, removing impediments to. So, th for example, in Ontario now, after like waiting for 20, over 20 years, we have a clear uh, permit uh, uh -huh. direction from MOECC on burning biomass. It's okay. It's a, it's a good and clear guideline. Okay. Um, so that's very encouraging that, for example, the province of Ontario has finally filled in a, a, a void and a gap in providing like real good 
uh, regulations for biomass combustion. So in terms of barriers to, to seeing some of this future, is it like is it fair to say the technology is there, but it's a it's a regulatory or a policy barrier or what? Um, well, I'm thinking. What, what if you if you had you know a magic wand and you could change one thing? What would it be to drive this forward? I, I would think that uh, well, the big thing that I would I would like to see is um, making it more um, possible to use the the biomass that we have in Ontario. If you think about Central Ontario, Eastern Ontario, Northern Ontario, we have just a wealth, wealth of biomass. Uh, and when FIT came out um, and the forestry sector in Ontario tried to be part of that, right. um, the, the then government didn't encourage that. So I think, you know, if, if we're serious on the one hand about reducing CO2, we should be as bullish on supporting our forestry sector that we make it possible for the that that sector to be reinvigorated as part of the co2 okay. strategy okay interesting um, cool do you, are, do you have any other visions of the future um, so yeah I, the other thing that's really i'm really hopeful for is hydrogen generation mm. using um renewable electricity to generate hydrogen. I'm encouraged with, uh, especially in the combustion turbine field, how all many of the OEMs are working on burning quite a significant mix of hydrogen. Uh, the, en the internal combustion engine OEMs are a little far behind, a little further behind right. on hydrogen, but right. I think hydrogen is really the next big thing. Um, so yeah, I, I, I want to really be observing the technological improvements with respect to producing hydrogen. Cool, um, cool. And what about um, your future, it, as it dovetails with this, um, sounds like there's some fun for you to do here. Yeah, I, I'm, I, I enjoy being an agent of technology transfer, so I'm going to continue monitoring very closely what is emerging in Europe and then try to be a facilitator bringing that technology to, uh, well, most notably Ontario and Alberta, uh, but other provinces where feasible. Um, I think that that's what really turns me on is bringing over that new technology. Cool. Yep. Well, thank you for sharing some of your uh, insight into where uh, our industry is going and, and, and more importantly, how the changing policy and the developing technologies can be adapted by our very valuable clients in terms of meeting their own energy and environmental goals. So um, hopefully we'll do this again. I'm sure yep. there's lots more to talk about. Absolutely. Uh, Thank you for listening to another episode of Energy Radio. For more information on CEM, look us up at cemeng.ca or find us on LinkedIn, Instagram, and Facebook. If this podcast brought you value, it would mean a great deal to us if you would share it with somebody else for whom energy is a challenge. Remember, we're all in this together as we search to manage our energy and environmental goals.